when I was 22 and just starting out in the world. I thought then that I needed to accrue success and that it needed to be mine. Today, I know that my joy and my success comes from helping other women tell their stories, share their expertise and their message. Their success brings me joy. To me, that's my life's purpose. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode number 207 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyoutsuka.com. If you're a regular listener, you likely know about my signature program, Your ADHD Brain is A-OK. We call it A-OK for short. And this is the six-week program that I built off of my patented cartography system to help ADHD women figure out what they should do with their life. And I was just looking at some of the comments from women who've taken the program. So Wendy Abel says, this is the best course that I have signed up for ever. And I'm so excited that I have finished the course all the way to the end. I feel like I have a great summary that I can refer to all the time and work out when I'm not feeling great and why that might be. I feel like I could do this every year and even more. I now understand so much about what makes me tick and why I'm so different to those around me. I love learning about ADHD and love being ADHD. I can do anything that I put my mind to if I'm passionate and helping someone. Allison Karn says, this is the best program I have done to help me understand what I really want and who I'm meant to be. And Ava, Katrine Sigurotador. Oh my gosh, Ava, I'm so sorry. I am completely massacring your name. Ava is a, a doctor, a medical doctor, and before she started AOK, she was trying to decide if she was going to continue on to become a psychiatrist, and she decided that, nope, 
the pathology wasn't of interest to her. So she is going to move forward and add to our knowledge bank of ADHD. I think she's going to work with women um, or people with ADHD. So this is what she says. Love the course. Thank you so much for helping me see my potential and gain more confidence in making decisions about how I want to live my life. After endless sessions with psychiatrists and psychologists throughout the years, no one, and she has that in all caps, has ever come close to what this program has to offer. Tracy, you are now officially on my celebrity crush list. If you take AOK, you'll know what a celebrity crush is. So anyway, those are just um, three women who have recently taken the program. We know that ADHD is completely misnamed. We don't have a deficit of attention. We have a surplus of attention. We're interested in so much, which often means that we struggle with trying to figure out which of the many interests that we do have is actually the one that we should pursue. So with AOK, what we do is we start from the inside out and we figure out who you really are what's important to you, what you value, what your strengths, passions, superpowers, and purpose are. And then you are going to build your life around that because who cares if you fit in, right? You are not meant to fit in. You're meant to stand out. And I'm going to show you just how we do that. So AOK includes live office hours with me, a community, the AOK systems worksheet. You'll create your own AOK intelligence report. And I promise you it's a lot of fun. We're going to start on Tuesday, January 24th. We'll have our first office hours on Wednesday, the 25th, and every Wednesday after that for the following six weeks. What a great way to finally discover who you are exactly and what you're meant to do with your life. And what a wonderful way to start the new year, don't you think? So if you sign up with the code HOLIDAYS100, you'll get $100 off of your ADHD brain is A-OK until the program is full. So if you're interested in giving yourself a gift over the holidays, you can find more information at tracyoutsuka.com forward slash A-OK. And don't forget to use the code HOLIDAYS100. I'd love to have you join us. So now let's get on to our podcast. My purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. In the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something, not one. And that is also why I am just delighted to introduce you to Allison Lane. Allison Lane is a marketer for nonfiction authors and people who should be. After 25 years of creating multi-million dollar marketing and PR campaigns for globally respected lifestyle brands like The Body Shop, Burt's Bees, Unilever, and Johns Hopkins, Allison now helps entrepreneurs, experts, coaches, academics, and advocates get published and get publicity. Allison now hosts the Creative Nonfiction Community. It is her free community on Facebook where she dishes advice on marketing and publishing for its more than 1,300 writers. After growing up at the end of a dirt road in rural Maryland, she graduated from University of Maryland with a journalism degree. But not before she spent two years at East Carolina University, where she met her future husband at Dollar Picture Night at the gas station slash sandwich shop. Allison, that sounds romantic, sort of. <laughs> Allison has lived in New York City, Chicago, Raleigh, and Annapolis, where she was finally diagnosed with ADHD at 47. But now she lives in Boston, where she is the chauffeur of two hungry teens, the walker of two poorly trained dogs, and the often forgetful partner of an understanding spouse. So is it hangry teens and an occasional walker? <laughs> so did I get it all right, Allison? You sure did. 
Wonderful. So you know that I always want to talk about the ADHD diagnoses first. So can you fill me in on or fill us in on what the circumstances were around you finally getting diagnosed? Well, um, thank you for having me. And like a lot of people, I was diagnosed after my son was diagnosed. And it, which took, you know, forever and misdiagnoses and, and having the wrong type of doctor get engaged. But when he was finally diagnosed, his doctor looked at me and said, you know, ADHD is inherited. Does, what, is, what does your husband do and what is he like? Because I was there alone. I think my husband was traveling. And I said, oh, you know, he's he works in operations and runs manufacturing. And he was like, mm-hmm. and what do you do? And I explained, I'm a writer in, in PR. And I, you know, I, I think I just was presenting as ADHD magnified right there. I had, you know, a checklist and pencils. And, and he was like, uh-huh, here's a quick printout of a test. Why don't you go ahead and, and take this? And, and you can give one to your husband, too. And, you know, at the end of 30 seconds, I got an A-plus on that test. And so this was a male doctor. So clearly he knew or he had an understanding of what ADHD looked like in women. women. So bravo, right? Exactly. Yes, he was very smart. And, you know, you don't know what you don't know. And it kind of sucks, but it never occurred to me that ADHD was inherited. I don't have the same symptoms as my son, although now that I know a lot more, I do have the same symptoms. They just present differently in an adult. And that sort of sense of like running panic that I have coped with my whole life because I'm constantly writing things down on little pieces of paper that are essentially like confetti in my purse. But, you know, my son doesn't have those skills, so he doesn't write anything down. So then he forgets to do things like homework or brush his teeth. But I am a professional communicator. So of course I write things down. No one ever pointed out to me that perhaps my obsession with writing things down was because I was so forgetful and that wasn't just me being flighty or having too much on my plate. So once you knew it was ADHD and you had the benefit of hindsight, what are some of the symptoms that you always wondered about, but now you recognize them as clearly ADHD, whether they're from childhood, college years, or just, you know, life? Well, (laughs) I wish I had a nickel for every time I heard the phrase, you're not living up to your potential, because I tested very well. And my mother, who was a teacher, even in second, third, fourth grade, she'd say, it doesn't make sense that you aren't doing better, because I know you're doing your work, but why are you getting, you know, C pluses instead of A pluses on something that I know you're good at? Well, the classroom had 30 kids in it. And because I had a last name that started with H, my seat was the farthest from the chalkboard back when they used chalkboards. 
And I would watch everyone else take a test and I would look at my sheet and go, I don't even know where to start. I mean, and then the test would be over and I barely would get it done. So no wonder. I mean, no wonder. And back then, nobody knew. It wasn't common knowledge. So were you constantly in trouble or were you that that good little girl that sat in the back and was quiet and was just in her head all the time? I was in my head all the time. I was shy. And then I learned to be a chameleon and to move from friendship group to friendship group or click to click so that I could fit in. And then I would be bored stiff, listening to people have the same conversations or talk about nothing, which people can spend an entire afternoon talking about nothing, but I just don't have patience for that kind of chit chat. And then I would get bored and say, well, I'm gonna get, let me go check out this other group and be friends with this group. And it, it really kept me from feeling like I belonged anywhere. But that is how I led my childhood life. And I, I never felt like I fit in. I was really happiest with a book. <laughs> from the Which time you were little. Funny. Yeah, from the time I was little. I, my mother was an English teacher. My grandmother was an English teacher. My uncle taught uh, college journalism. So it runs in the family. So I learned to read when I was four. Then we got to school and then to be told, get your nose out of that book. Or, you know, you have to engage. Well, why? I worked so hard to be able to read these books. You know, reading, you know, fifth grade books in kindergarten and 12th grade books in fifth grade. And why do we do that to kids when they're so interested and focused and loving something that we tell them that they can't do that anymore? They have to be the other thing. Yeah. It's yeah. silly. So, Allison, when you talk about your family, I'm actually kind of surprised because this does not sound like the family that I've heard you talk about. So, what's going on? Yeah, I think you're right. I think that the thing is, when you are a child of trauma, multiple unspeakables, that you try and rule out and don't make up people uncomfortable. And that's what the fun of masking, you know, the side effect. So in my mind, I had an idyllic childhood because those are the times I like to talk about and remember. And most of those moments, I was alone with books in my little rowboat, floating on the pond next to our house or rowing to the island in, on the, we lived on a river and also next to a pond. So I spent a lot of time in my imagination. But what's also true simultaneously is that my childhood was riddled with adverse childhood experiences, assaults and betrayals and tragedy. And when you are raised in that, you are really soaked in secrets. So, and Allison, so can you tell us some of what you're alluding to here? 
So when it when it comes to the ACE score, and if anyone doesn't know what that is, that is a score of adverse childhood experiences, and you can Google it. And it measures the 10 specific childhood traumas that can link to a higher likelihood of health challenges later in life. And the higher the number, the more the negative effects. And I score an 8 out of 10. So taking it from the top, these are divorce when my parents were four. Then my father completely abandoned us and my poor mother um, and my little sister. My mother was an alcoholic. My father was an alcoholic. When I was eight, my mother was shot in the back. She survived, but she was shot in um, community violence. Then when I was 11, my father killed his girlfriend and shot himself in the head and got to go to jail for that and was convicted of murder because he actually survived shooting himself in the head. <clears throat> then when I'm, when, yeah, I mean, the, and the fun continues. That's just when I was 11. So when I was 13, I got to go visit him in jail, which was horrific. But also when I was 13, I was bullied into having sex for the first time. When I was 16, I had sex for the second time as a date rape. And when I was uh, 18, my boyfriend was killed in a drunk driving accident, which oh, I, was, I, well, I'm not done. Um, I'm so sorry. Which was followed by a suicide attempt. Mm. So all of these together and me being an actual introvert contributed to my masking because I knew and I was I was told by my my poor mother who was just trying to protect me from being you know the object of gossip was that I didn't reveal anything about myself to anyone that allowed me to gain entrance to a lot of different groups and cliques and clubs and move like a chameleon. But truly, I was very guarded. Mm. So the benefit so, of that. Sorry, go ahead. So can I ask you, so all of your friends, because you were talking about it, you had all these different groups of friends. Yeah. None of them knew anything about any of this. No. So no. Had, did you make up like a different family or did you just not say anything? I would, well, they would say, you know, where is your father? And I say, oh, she lives far away. Or, you know, we see him sometimes. I mean, I, I, I was just super vague. Uh, and, you know, the, nobody knew that my mother had been shot. We lived in a different town when that happened. And it's unfortunate that a lot of people at my school actually knew that I'd been raped, but n no one, oh, of course talk to me about it or, you know, my own mother didn't talk to me about it. Although she confirmed with my very good friend that th it had happened and I did spend the night in the hospital. Mm. You know, when you are masking, the, the benefit to me was that I was always observing and trying to see beneath the surface of were people, did ha people have enough depth for me to invest in them, 
to find their stories and to always be looking for the good and something I could truly connect to. And I think that that contributed to me being immensely creative and loyal. Like I would, I would take a probably a paper cut for you, girl. I mean, I really, really <laughs> and um, and to, a sense of humor, I'm sure. Right, people really like that. Uh, and I'm always looking to bring out the best in people because when you are observing, you see other people's gifts way more than they do. And it helped me recognize the impact of their gifts. Plus, nothing shocks me because everything's happened to me. So there's a there's immense empathy that I can offer when people say, especially now in the work that I do, being a, a working with nonfiction authors, when they say, okay, I have to tell you this. And I say, girls, you can't shock me. Everything has happened to me. And something different, of course, has happened to you. It's a different experience, but I may look like I grew up in a, you know, fantasy land, but when I share openly now, this is what happened, it just opens everyone's doors because the shit we don't talk about drives me crazy. And the more we actually share our true experiences and how we've developed scars or, you know, and show off those scars of like, look at this, look at what I, I survived and how I learned from it or how I, that fueled me or how I'm still wounded, the more we connect with people. And I, I do think that that also contributes to me not being able to have surface level conversations. Like I'm terrible if people want to talk about the weather. I just can't. It also sounds like I'm sure these experiences created trauma, probably PTSD, but also it sounds like post-traumatic growth as well, that you, you could have just been mired down in it, right? And instead, what you've done is you've taken it to... Oh, what am I trying to say? Like just how you're able to connect to other people and then take what you've experienced and what they've experienced it and go out and help them share it with the world. I hope that that's true. And for anyone listening to this thinking, well, I can't do that. Well, I'm here to tell you, I couldn't do it as well for a very, very long time because it takes practice. Mm-hmm. You actually have to speak the words out loud to say, my mother was shot. Yeah. My father killed his girlfriend in some sort of rage. And no one understands that because he was a gentle soul, but also a narcissist. So who mm-hmm. knows? So with but the that- more I say it, the more, the easier it is. And it's not a reflection on me. Yeah. You're getting rid of the shame. Yeah. The secrecy really stains you with shame. Mm. Or it did me. And I found that the people I could actually, you know, reveal my true self to and say, this happened and this happened, and I would be mortified 
to tell them these things, they would just say, you know, but I still, I'm still your friend or I'm, I still love you, you know, or, um, and that very few people I would trust with that. But I needed to make sure that, you know, my husband understood, hey, you're getting a big package of damaged goods. And he was like, no, that's, I'm getting you and I want to protect you from feeling like that. And to this day, he is the oh. most supportive, protective, safety conscious <laughs> guy. And he didn't think that was a stain on me. He was infuriated. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask, when did you actually tell him? Like how long into the relationship? And were you um, scared to tell him? I was scared. I was. But I needed him to be quiet so I could get it all out. I think, you know, it was a couple months in. But then again, we had dated for three hot and heavy weeks in college. And then 15 years later, we reconnect. We're, we're doing different states. We're chatting on the phone. And I, after a couple of visits here and there, I was like, oh, he better know what he's getting. Because I was still thinking, I don't tell this stuff to anybody. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, you have to be, you have to be quiet because I'm going to tell you some stuff. And he was like, okay. And it was hard. It was hard to tell him, you know, some of this I feel like I brought on myself. Some of this, like I thought my suicide attempt. Which isn't true, but well, okay. Right. right. But when you don't realize when you're a teenager that you have depression, not not just you're sad because you're grieving, but you, no one understood depression then. And being labeled as moody, but actually having depression, two different things. On top of that, being told, just decide to be happy. But my my only, my like right hand, my boyfriend, who was lovely to me, just died in a drunk driving accident. I mean, with his friend. Oh uh, and his friend lived and it was their fault. You know, joy, joy writing. So don't do that. But yeah, I mean, my, my husband then was like, he was infuriated on my behalf. And of course, wanted to protect me. And he was like, he, I think he had to say, like, none of this makes me love you less. Mm -hmm. I'm just mad for you. I can also see how going through all of what you went through, where you would, it would be so like, like, duh, that you would miss any symptoms of ADHD. And that frankly, most people, even professionals, might miss ADHD because right away they'd go to trauma or depression or anxiety. Yes. Well, who knows? I mean, back then, it was this was when God was a boy. So I don't know <laughs> what. Back when dirt was new, that's when yeah. this was happening. And so this was, you know, early 80s, mid 80s. And I don't think that the education for 
psychology. Yeah, it was the 90s. I think it was 1990 yeah. before, you know, there was this knowledge that, oh, guess what? Women can have ADHD too, or girls. Right. Plus, I was being groomed to or coached or nurtured to not talk about things that were made people uncomfortable. And because of that, I do remember when I was hospitalized after my suicide attempt that we were allowed to sit in and listen to the like shift change. And I couldn't even listen because what they said then and what was true as I walked by trying to eavesdrop was Allison wants to believe that everything, she's like a princess in a glass castle. Mm -hmm. She won't admit that these things have happened. And she doesn't want to talk about it. I remember thinking, why would I want to talk about it? I want to get on with things. And, it, and of course, now my work, my mission is to enable women to tell their stories and share their messages and do it in a way that reaches a lot of people. So, Allison, um, I don't think I ever heard about the suicide attempt. I really appreciate that uh, you're willing to share that. Um, I also wanted to say for those that don't know that uh, this is not uncommon with ADHD women. In fact, statistics seem to indicate that 25% of all ADHD women have at some point in their life attempted suicide. And I'm trying to remember, I think there might be a better way to phrase it. Attempted suicide, is that right? I don't know. I find that the language around things is really gets in the way of the bigger point, which is I felt unheard. Yeah. And I knew that what I was feeling I, first of all, I didn't have the language to share, but I also didn't understand why, like, all of these things piled on and piled on without support meant that the measures by which high school prepares you for life were still being applied to me. And yet, no one was saying, well, but she needs help with this. And of course, she's spending too much time in clubs because it's the uh, versus getting the A's that she should be getting because she needs affirmation constantly. And all the clubs I was in were all supporting other people, always. Writing for the newspaper because I got to tell people stories, lobbying to the you know, state legislature, because I got to be an ambassador for students. In retrospect, not that anyone would care to, but if someone were, they would, they would say, oh, now I get it, you know. Then the loneliness of no one should have to carry this much pain and hide it. Yeah. Was, it was a lot. So... As you see it today, it was because you weren't talking about it, correct? I think so. I didn't think that anyone understood what was going through my mind. And separating this 
you know, this this magnificent loss that I had with my boyfriend who I'd been dating for over a year and who I was with all the time. You know, he was a sweet boy. And separating that from the actual depression, which colors your thinking. It's the difference between I'm sad and I miss someone to what's the point of life if right. all of this is going to happen? I wish the earth would swallow me. And those are two different things. And somebody should have had their finger on the pulse of that. But now I understand it. More so now in the last year, having worked with you. I mean, when you think about it, though, for an adult to go through that much, I, I mean, that would just be, uh, you know, unthinkable. But then to be a child and a teen girl, I don't even know. Like, I'm, when I hear you tell the story, I'm even more impressed. <laughs> Rather than, I think what a lot of people think that, you know, oh my gosh, if, if they know, then they're not going to like me. They're not going to love me. They're not going to think that I'm blah, 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 right? Versus it's the opposite. True. But I, I throughout, I mean, into my late 30s, that's what I believed. They're not going to like me. They're uh -huh. not going to love me. Yeah. They're going to think I'm loose or, uh, you know, like a slut or I deserved this or I come from bad people. And none of those things are true. And we all come from flawed people. So, so this is interesting to me. The next question would be, now with the knowledge that you have, when you look back at your mom and your dad, do you see symptoms of ADHD? Now, I don't, I don't think I got it from them. Really? Uh, what about other relatives? Because it doesn't have to be your parents. But it can yeah. also, I mean, you know, trauma plays a big role. It changes the brain. Well, I, I suspect that I had a very quiet childhood until I was eight. Okay. Maybe until I was seven, mm. after my father abandoned us. And I don't say that lately, but he, he disappeared. Even though he lived, he moved 30 minutes away. He never visited my sister. I mean, I mean once a year. I mean, he was a piece of work. And was he a good dad before that? Was he constantly in your life? He, well, first, he, he left when I was four. So I do have memories of him singing and playing you know, like on a sailboat and always in the water. But he would also leave for weeks at a time to go um, on to the Arctic to explore for Johns Hopkins and then sometimes now I understand he was leaving and going to stay with his mistress. Oh, geez. Right. I know. He was a super fun, but brilliant, but brilliant. But I do think that all that early trauma before I was, you know, 11 and in between eight and 11 forced me to have to emerge in a, at a time when my natural demeanor was introverted. And suddenly it was, Allison, get your nose out of a book. 
and go find a friend and go play. Like I, I didn't want, I, first of all, I didn't trust the other children. I wasn't allowed to tell them anything of what was happening at home. Oh. Uh, so or, was that, that was the message at home too, that that's where you learned it. We can't talk about this. This is something to be ashamed of. Yes. Don't talk about that. Don't tell anyone. This is a family secret. Ah. And you, even after my father left, my 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 mother fell in love with another man. He moved in. And then one summer we came back from camp and he had moved out and taken all of our furniture. Oh, geez. And he also was had been lovely. And he left my mother for his mistress. Oh, and man. then my stepfather, who she married after that, left my mother for his mistress. So three men disappeared and I never saw them again. And you were how old by the time the third one? I was 23, but I never saw him again. And he and my mother were married for 10 years from the time I was 13 to 23. That's, it's insane. It's insane. How does a child learn to trust anyone after that? Certainly not male figures, right? Certainly not male figures. I really, really lucked out with my husband. You did. I certainly <laughs> did. I and not. he lucked out with you. Well, yes, he did. Because while he is very protective, my motto is follow your joy. And he, he needed that. So together we're puzzle pieces for sure. In any case, I, I'm glad that you asked about that because I do think that people hide. And particularly women with ADHD feel the panic or the paranoia of what they think other people expect. And whatever you're thinking, whatever you're thinking, it's not actually true. People may not be thinking about you at all. Usually they're not because they're thinking about themselves. <laughs> right. Right. And if I could go back, I would, I think this generation coming out of high school, going, you know, into the world are much more accustomed to say, this is who I am. This is how I am. This is how I want to be much earlier. Yeah. I wish I could press redo. Well, and certainly but, about like mental health, right? There seems to be like the stigma around saying you have a therapist or anything like that with my kids. Like their friends all talk about this. Mm -hmm. And they talk to each other about it too versus keeping it under wraps. Yes. Yes, very open. I mean, at this point, I'm nearly 52 and I am gobsmacked that it has taken me this long to be my own advocate, but also be representing and, and helping other women also tap into their expertise, which most of the time comes from their experience. Mm -hmm. It's not that someone gave them a certificate in being a trauma expert. It's just that they were a sex trafficked teen and now they are an expert in recovery from having been trafficked 
And so your experience gives you license to call yourself an expert. I always say our best purposes are those that give meaning to our past. Ooh, good one. I like that. I'm going to, I'm going to quote you. <laughs> well, we're so much more believable, aren't we? If we've actually been there in the trenches and have real life experience than if we just talk about what it might have been like to have gone through whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you want to say anything more about that? Or do you want to say anything more about just your, your childhood, your experience, trauma, anything? If you're not already talking to someone about any kind of milestone experience, whether, whether it ranks as, you know, a trauma or an assault or, you know, on the ACEs test, if it triggers you, then it's worth talking to someone else about. And I would urge people as well, if you don't feel comfortable talking to someone you know who's in your life right now, you can write about it. You can join a writer's group. You can join my writer's group, the Creative Nonfiction Community. It's free. It's on Facebook. You can search for it. Because there are people who want to hear about what you have experienced, and also they've experienced the same thing. And it's the only way to feel better. Exactly what you said. You've got to address it, right? Head on. You do have to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And once you do, once you feel comfortable talking about it, think of how empowering that is to say, this happened to me. This is not me. The me who you know today is I give myself the authority to do all of these other amazing things. And that's the purpose of my life is to empower women to use their voices. Right. So again, you've used your experiences to help others. And so then we feel like, well, it wasn't all for naught, right? There was a reason why I went through what I went through. I can, I can take it and build good out of it. That might be the Pollyanna in me, but yes, there is. There's a, in terms of this experience I'm having as a human on earth, I think that experiencing such deep love and being a devoted daughter and having a mother who I absolutely adored and revered, and also having these experiences of very deep lows, I'm experiencing the gamut that one could on earth. And that gives me appreciation for every day. Even the times when I think, gosh, I'm bored. I let my mind wander and I enjoy that fleeting moment sitting in carpool or (laughs) in traffic. Or Um, I listen to your podcast and I think, oh, I'm so happy that I did. Oh. One thing before we stop talking about this is you also don't have to talk about it per se if you just can't. There are now enough different kinds of somatic therapies where, you know, like EMDR or tapping, which I talk about all the time, or breath work, where you are able to process the trauma without 
having to talk about it if you cannot do that yet. So I wanted to correct what I had said earlier. Because I think that's why a lot of um, women or people say, I don't want to deal with the trauma because I don't want to talk about it. You know, it makes me feel sad when I talk about it. There are other ways to um, go about processing the trauma. Yeah, that would have been very helpful to the teenage me. (laughs) Yeah, because you I'm sure you didn't want to talk about it then, right? I couldn't. I couldn't. I mean, I, I didn't even know what I was feeling when my mother told me that my father had killed his girlfriend and he was in in surgery. I just sat there like, okay. And she said, you can cry if you want to. And I said, no, I'm okay. Mm. What what kind of reaction is that? Yeah. That's a reaction of a girl who fully expects unspeakable things. What? Yeah. I can't even. If my own daughter had said that, I would have, my daughter who is now 12, I would think, wow, she doesn't really know how to process this because my father, I already knew, is someone who couldn't be trusted and who was selfish and essentially a grifter. But should you feel sad? for the person who's in surgery and might lose their life or feel like it's justified because they just killed someone. I didn't know then, but I know what I feel now. But gosh, that that took, you know, an extra 35 years to get to. Yeah. Anyway, I think it's helpful for women out there who have ADHD who or depression or anxiety to know that life happens and that your diagnosis or your suspecting diagnosis will help you understand the feelings that you had and are having and separate the expected reaction from the additional pile-on that comes with having ADHD. Yeah. And perhaps can keep you from creating a a separate identity, which is what I did for a long time. Hmm. But I'm over that now. (laughs) Well, and I can't think of anything worse for a human being to not be able to be in their authenticity. And I know that's such a like a wooey word, but they can't be who they really are. Or know who they really are. You're right, because first you've got to know who you are in order to be it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever have a best friend? Um, I had, I would, I would say I had good friends, but no, I never had a best friend. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe when I was in second grade. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I had, I had a best friend and she was quiet and, um, and I was quiet and we spent a lot of time outside trying to trap rabbits in the middle of the day, which, (laughs) yes, you can't, the rabbits don't come out at noon. They're really evening time kind of animals. So that was, but that's how, you know, I grew up on the water and next to a marsh. So that's what we did. Like, here's a string and a cardboard box and go see if you can catch a rabbit. No, but that, that was my afternoon. It was a really good afternoon. I remember it fondly. 
I bet. So what happened when you went out into the workforce and you, you know, your thing now was branding and it sounds like that really wasn't your first love, but now that took a while, right? To get out of branding. I was in branding for 25 years, but to go from a Fortune 50 company where I was leading marketing communications for seven brands nationally and on the speaking circuit and on the horn with the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal weekly, then to going to essentially what felt like a startup was where I never had to travel. Boy, that it was really, really nice. But I always worked in branding. And then subsequently, a few years later, I went from Burt's Bees to The Body Shop, which was then bought by L'Oreal. And I had my son and went to SaaS Analytics and led corporate reputation communications there, like employer branding. So can we back up for a second? I am still trying to understand. So you are in branding and you're good at it. It sounds like at least initially you enjoyed it. It was fast paced. It was fun. Where does the ADHD come in? Like, where were you struggling? As soon as I moved to Bird's Bees, it was like I was in such a slower paced environment that the chaos that fed me and allowed me to spend a little time here, a little time there, you know, encourage. And suddenly I had a, a role where I was supposed to be methodical and thoughtful and slow and detail-oriented. And I am not the person you want to have in charge of all the P's and Q's. Mm-hmm. I'm more of a full alphabet kind of person. I'm, I'm strategic and a big thinker and creative. And I also was working for someone who was a colossal jerk and didn't believe in me. Whereas mm-hmm. when I was at Unilever, I could do everything I did was gravy. Every idea just improved everything. It's, it's really something when the people around you believe in you and value you and celebrate you. And I, that really fed me. But when, as soon as I, it, it was like I switched into some sort of land where everything that was positive was negative. And after working in that environment, I just thought maybe it, maybe it was all a ruse. Maybe, like maybe my successes weren't actually deserved. And it definitely chipped away at my confidence for sure. For sure. And so how long were you at Burt's Bees? Um, about a year until that until my role, which was new, was actually um, reorged, but it was also that 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 guy actually never had wanted to hire me. <laughs> so, and I, I think I wasn't a good fit for working for that kind of personality. So that was, um, yeah, that was a while ago. But when the ADHD actually presented, I believe it was about the time I had my son. Mm, Which is very typical. Is it? It was, well, I know it is now, 
you know, knowing you. But boy, it was like night and day. I was in a panic all the time. I never wanted to leave him. I was afraid all the time. Just no matter what I was doing, I thought I was supposed to be doing something else. And that's not just about protectiveness about my newborn. It was if I was driving in, you know, to the left, I should, maybe I should have been taken a right. There was that invasive. And was it because of all the extra responsibilities or do you think it was more than that? I think it was hormonal. I think, uh, I think the, the balance in my brain changed because it wasn't something that went away. And it was something that even when my son was, you know, safely at daycare, when I went back to work, I always felt like maybe I, I had, like pe people were talking about me, what did they think about me? I suddenly lacked like direction and really the lack of, of encouragement really just drove me crazy or any kind of, you know, acknowledgement. And I happened to work for somebody who's a lovely woman, but she was not someone to say, good job. And that to me, it was like, well, I'm, I might as well just go put it like one foot in the ground. Let me start digging my grave. <laughs> so and it sounds, um, Allison, like after your son was born, so you were highly confident, never really questioned much of anything. You knew you could do it. You'd seen yourself mm -hmm. do it. But after your son, and we know that hormones, specifically that estrogen modulates dopamine. So there's something that happened then. And that is really when a lot of RSD started to kick in. Yes, I suppose so. And the whole time you're thinking, well, you're all these new things are happening. You're I'm a wife for the first time. Mm -hmm. I'm a mother for the first time. And people then say like, oh, that always happens to new moms. Or you're just getting used to being a married couple and that always happens. And maybe that's true for a lot of people. But I think on top of that, I was definitely having a hormonal change. And how would I have even known that it was ADHD? Mm -hmm. I, I didn't know anything about ADHD. Nobody talked about it except this one woman who had, she actually had five children because she had had a, a set of triplets. And she, you know, whispered like, I just got diagnosed with ADHD. I'm like, why are we whispering? But because that was because nobody talked about it. Mm -hmm. Like it was on, no one talked about depression then or anxiety because it was a character flaw. Mm. And boy, now like ADHD is like a cape on my back. I'm freaking awesome with my ADHD harnessing that. But, but I learned that from you. Thank you. And, well, thank you. So what has changed since you were diagnosed? Like what happened? First, a couple of weeks before I was diagnosed, I got called out and shamed in front of an entire leadership committee where this mean girl slash 
but uh, this other, I, I was on a leadership committee, like an executive leadership team, and trying to get a group of people to make a decision about something, and they couldn't or wouldn't. I don't know. That was my view. And then she said, Allison, when you talk, I feel like I'm going crazy, like I have ADHD, and I cannot follow you. Like, can you get more organized? And I was thinking, I am going to have to claw your eyes out. But I did not. I did not say that. Did she literally say, like, I have ADHD? She did. But she also said... She either said, like, I'm going crazy, like, when you talk, I feel like I'm going crazy, or I'm schizophrenic. Mm -hmm. I thought, first of all, that was not, that did not come from love. You know, that that statement did not, was not delivered with positivity. Mm -hmm. It it was meant to shame, and it did, because it shut me up. And then I got diagnosed, like, the, the very next week. And... I was so ticked. I went back to her and I said, you know, one-on-one, I called her and I said, you know, I'm, I want you, I want to acknowledge what you said. Can um, I ask, was this a colleague or was this her, um, was oh, she, did she supervise you? It was a colleague. Okay. Yes, we were meant to be equals. Okay. Uh, but it was, it was a very political place. So I think in some ways, you know, that, diagnosis empowered me, but in other ways, it's now so common for people to be flippant about like, oh, that's so ADHD. So after that, that was the job that I actually quit. So I I quit that job two weeks before the pandemic and have been busy ever since helping people birth the books that need to be written. And really using all of my marketing and PR and communication skills to keep them from wasting money, spending money on things that are not going to help them increase their influence or expand their audience or boost their business. Because I'm faster because I have 25 years of training and experience working for Fortune 50 companies and also knowing you has really helped me lean in to that as a superpower. So our listeners don't know, but um, Allison and I have worked together, and I can confidently say that I would not have received offers from no less than four literary agents to represent my book, nor would my book have gone to auction without her amazing help in drafting my book proposal. And, you know, when I started, I didn't even know what a book proposal was. But apparently in a book proposal, you have to include chapter summaries. And my brain is such that I can't seem to write a chapter summary without writing most of the chapter. So it literally took me forever. You know, and I also had a lot of other things going on. And I just like I didn't have the time because it wasn't a fun thing for me to do. It's very hard for me to write. But um, Allison, knowing my brain, She set up a meeting with me, and then when I arrived for the meeting, she told me that, um, because I wasn't getting the work done, and she told me, okay, we're going to query a literary agent. Who's your favorite literary agent? And I was like, wait a minute, what do you mean? We're going to do this now? And she (laughs) said, right now, 
And I'm like, no, we can't. She's like, yes, we can. So we did it. And I think within 15 minutes of sending out that one email, that particular literary agent, she was just lovely. She responded back and she said, oh my gosh, I would love to see your proposal. I'm so interested in what you're writing about. And so then I ended up having to stall while I literally hauled arse and I finished the proposal. But you seem to know that that was the, because we share the same brain, right? That was the only way that we were going to get this done or I was going to get this done. Well, that's right. I think you're diminishing your your own skills, but you you wrote so fast. You wrote half a book in like three weeks. But there is perfectionism that comes a long way. It's like, am I ready to take the next step in in a lot of ADHD years, right? Like is this have I have I checked all the boxes? There's impulsivity and then there's hypervigilance of like whoa, whoa. Have I done all the things that need doing, especially when it's something new and you don't know that you can do it? But you're an expert in ADHD, especially ADHD in women, and you know what you're talking about. And with your proposal, the key was presenting your marketability and that the audience that is eager for these answers is visible and growing and very vocal. And that was that was my job to make sure that that happened. The four offers and going to auction, yeah, that was that was you because you're expert and charming and a wonderful communicator. Yeah, but it would have not happened. I mean, the problem is you can be great, right? But if you don't do the P's and Q's, which sometimes we struggle to do, you're never going to get that opportunity. So you did try and ghost me. What was that? I said, you did try and ghost me in the middle of the of our project together. But you know what? It was because it was overwhelming. Okay, but wait a minute. I didn't actually ghost you. What was going on is my your emails were going into my other email box. So I didn't even see them. So really? I would have responded. I wouldn't have ghosted you, but I would have responded and just sort of put you off. <laughs> yeah, well, three months went by and I and I put a, a reminder on my calendar that every three weeks to uh-huh. email you. Yeah. And just say, Hey, I'm thinking about you. Hey, loved your last podcast. And that I, I think I said, hey, I I think we can get this done. And I really feel like now is the time because I think I must have read something about your current, the agent that you actually went with, that you now work with. And I just, I had this like moment of like, this has to really happen. And between the pieces that were easy for you to deliver I felt like whatever you didn't want to do, I was just going to do for you because I understood the way that you wanted to tell the stories. That is truly the difference because in order to ultimately get the result that we want, lots of times there are these hurdles we have to jump through and we get stuck. And they're they're not even difficult hurdles compared to what we've done, right? But we get stuck. And so we need people to help us who don't just talk at us and make us do more work because then we just shut down. What you did is you actually got in there and you helped me get it done. Like we would meet and you would 
be like, okay, we're doing this now and we would do it. So you just, you understood the ADHD brain. Well, I think I understand now why that worked. Mm -hmm. Just because we were, what what do you call it? Mirroring? Like the things that were hard, we did together. Right. Just like my son cannot clean up his room. But if I happen to be in his room and I stand there with a trash bag and I say, okay, you know, throw this in, throw that in. Then it's done in five minutes. And we realized that he's had a, pretty much a bag full of food waste in his room for a month. So that's gross. But he does it because it's easy. And yeah, when, you act like a body double. Right. <laughs> so that's what we really did was we, we did those things together and it made them easier. And we broke them down into achievable bits. So good for us that we figured that out. Yeah. Now, what about ADHD medication? Did that help? That helped tremendously because when I take the medication, when I remember to take the medication, and I have some in my pocket right this minute, that my my alarm just went off saying, take your medication, then I can feel my, like a calm focus come over my brain. But mm. if I forget to take it or if I don't take the right amount because with the Adderall short national shortage of Adderall, yeah. Uh, I did have to go with a lower dose for a month and I thought I was going to lose my mind. It's like walking around with only one lens in your glasses like I mean, mm-hmm. I can kind of see, but like, I could kind of <laughs> the day. I just, like, it was just the wrong dosage. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I, I do really need the ADHD medicine. And the days I don't take it, or if I forget to take my second dose for the afternoon, I wander around the house. Like, yeah. where, where am I supposed to be? On top of that, I this year discovered I have depression. Mm. And that was some, really a sudden onset mm-hmm. because I'm, I think of myself as a peppy person, but I think you noticed too, you would say sometimes like, Allison, you sound down. Like, no, I'm good. And then I would think, why am I still sitting in the car in the driveway and it's 10 a.m.? Like I, I have a client at 1030, you know? And the client would be you. And you're like, mm, listen, I think something is wrong. Like, I don't know. But I, yeah, something was really wrong. So I had no idea. But now I feel like a zillion bucks. Thanks to you. So do you find that you work with a lot of ADHD women just because they're probably the ones that maybe might be fearless enough to think that, or cocky enough to think that, oh, I can write a book and think, yeah, I can do that. And then they get into it and they're just like, oh my gosh, this is so much harder than I thought it would be. Here's the truth that almost every woman I work with will apologize for their mind. They will say, I'm really sorry. I'm I'm scattered, I have ADHD, or I have ADD, or I think I have ADHD, or I have 
you know, I'm on the spectrum or I have depression and women are always apologizing. And I work exclusively with women, except a handful of, like a handful of men, so 95% women. And the man that I work with is a doctor and he has ADHD and depression. He doesn't apologize, Mm -hmm. which is lovely, but all the women do. Hmm. So yes, they, I do. I think I attract a lot of those women, but they're highly successful. They're brilliant. I don't think it's because they know I have ADHD and that's what attracts them to me. It's energy, huh? I think it's energy. I think that they see me. I do a lot of free webinars. My, you know, you can see my free trainings on marketing or PR or getting published or pitching media on YouTube. And I think they see that, like, I have the the momentum of, like, don't spend 10 years writing something. Follow this template and do it. And you know, you can hire me or I can refer to you someone like, you know, time's a waste and this life is for living. So let's get on it. That appeals to a certain type of person. You know, you just made me think because I think the reason I was so attracted to you is because you are so encouraging and you just made me believe that, oh my gosh, of course I can do it. Well, I'm glad for that. But the truth is, everything is achievable. Mm -hmm. And I also think that working in the fast-paced environment of, you know, big number one brands, there's never time for hand-wringing. It's, we're going to do this. It's due on this day. This, This new brand has to, you know, achieve this much audience penetration or this much revenue in this amount of time, how are we not, how are we going to get it done? It's not a question of can it get done? It's there's always a way. Mm -hmm. There's always a way. That's why when we started, when we finally got back on the together and I said, okay, we're going to like, you may not think that you're ready, but you're, pitch letter to agents is actually ready. And you use, I think you said like, how is it ready? Because I wrote it a half an hour ago and it's ready and it's, let's trot this baby out. (laughs) I didn't even know what a, one of those, a query looked like, like what it even had to include. And then when I saw what, what you wanted me to do, I was horrified, not because (laughs) what you wrote was great. Right. But then I had to deliver but it was almost like you just you just pushed me off the diving board and guess what i swam <laughs> well you did and and i think it's ridiculous to ask people who have never written a book proposal or yeah. never written a media pitch or a query letter which is the same as a pitch letter to literary agents that they will never need to write again to suddenly become experts in a thing that they will only need once. Absolutely. It's ridiculous. So I've written hundreds, hundreds of pitches. I've had to present 
new products monthly to every women's and every national magazine every year for 20 years. I mean, it's just when you do something for that many hours and it's you find a way and you know that the only way to edit something is actually to draft it. And the only way to test it out is actually to use it. And so you just got to see what works. You're so fast too, though. I mean, that's I am fast. You're so fast. I am fast. I I can develop, uh, you know, uh, media hooks for any product, any person, any, any book, any program. I can create a dozen in less than five minutes for sure. She can. So what is it about you and your ADHD that makes you so good at that and just what you're doing? Well, one, I really care. I really care about the messages and the, and the help and the awareness of women's issues, of what women can accomplish. Yours and ADHD for Smartest Women is, is an important one, but any women's empowerment, entrepreneurialism, you know, connection to the universe is important to me. And I don't think women's perspectives are told enough in media, in magazines, on TV. I, I, I just don't think that it is. And so when I, when you care deeply about something, it becomes your focus. And my ADHD gives me permission to really hyper-focus on that. And the other thing is, you know, I'm, my, my spouse travels for days at a time and I, I have don't a know how you do it. I have a compressed work day. Well, that's how I do it is that I have to give myself over to my hyper-focus and jam it out, you know, in, in, and chunk that time you know, an hour on this, a half an hour on that, two hours on that. And the more compressed the time, the more I can do. If you give me two weeks to do one thing, it'll never get done. Also, if you can send somebody over to sit next to me so that I can uh, submit the my healthcare forms for the year, that would be great because I have been sitting since Jan- there was a stack next to me since January. It's December. Could you pay your daughter to do it for you? Um, she's twelve. I don't. It's like I read the instructions and the my eyes glaze over, and I go, I don't, I don't even know what they're asking. I feel like they're using vocabulary words I don't understand. <laughs> I also can't read any, dis, you know, any instructions of any sort. Me neither. I just have to do it. I have to have someone show it to me. Show okay. me how to do something. Yeah. But I I think that now knowing that it's ADHD, I don't have to apologize for that. Mm -hmm. And or think you're stupid or what's wrong with me. Everybody else can do it. Right. I also in the beginning, I think I was telling people a lot like, oh, well, I have ADHD. And now I don't feel like I even have to do that. Like, no, this is just the way I am. Just like that, the way you are. You know, like some people love to cook. That's wonderful. I love to do what I'm doing the way I do it. 
and I don't need to have a reason. So what do you think the key to living successfully with ADHD is? Well, I think the key starts with understanding what these tremendous gifts that you have are. If you don't understand the gifts that come with being you, whether you have ADHD one, two, or three, I mean, whether it's like combo mm-hmm. with, or, or the hyperactivity, which, you know, again, maybe it's just awesome activity. Why does it have to be hyper? If you don't understand what the gifts are that you have that your ADHD gives you, then you will not be able to lean into them and turn them into something that can really power you. And that has been the key for me. I mean, this past two years of realizing like, wow, I have achieved a lot. I have, I quit my big time corporate comfy job with healthcare and I, you know, and a budget and, you know, a team of 200. That was fun to have, you know, people to turn to, to say, let's make this happen. And it just does. That was great. And now I'm able to forgive myself for not enjoying, you know, website development. Like, it's fine. I'll find someone to, do, to help me do that. And I don't need to beat myself up about it because I'm my time is better suited and more useful creating, carving out paths to publication for thought leaders like yourself. So that's really interesting. Um, And I would highly agree with that, especially if you're in business. You just cannot, we cannot do everything ourselves. I know there are some people that can. And most of the things, I would say probably all of the things, if I had to, I could figure them out. But the problem is we don't want to do it. And so we're just going to keep putting it off. And so we are never going to move forward. We need to get help. That's true. I would like to make a list of all the things I do not want to do, including (laughs) clean out my car. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Anything like that. Anything that's dull. I mean, if we can have a dance party around it, that'd be awesome. Yeah. But no, the anything that feels like a chore, I can't do. So it, it could be something that's fun for someone else, but I can't do it if I think it's boring. Yeah. Do you have a number one ADHD workaround? Yeah. Well, I do absolutely love my Datex Cube. <laughs> yeah. I use it every day. I brag about it in my digital community of writers. I use it to time people during okay, tell our us. Tell us what it is because someone I'm sure will not know what you're talking about and then tell us how you use it because it's probably my number one. Well, yeah, at the top five. The Datex cube is, it's about the size of a Rubik's cube. And on each, on four sides of it, there are numbers. So it's, it's essentially like an automatic timer instead of having to open up your phone and set a timer for seven minutes or 15 minutes, you turn over 
the cube to the time that you want the alarm to go off, five minutes, 10 minutes. I think it also comes in a version of like one, two, and three, and five minutes. But I have the five, 10, 20, and 25 version. And you turn it over, and that's all you have to do. And then when it reaches that time, it'll beep and remind you like, okay, you've reached that time. It's so helpful, especially if you're, if you're like me and you think, well, I really only have 25 minutes to do this particular thing. Then it, it, that way my hyper-focus doesn't keep me from, you know, going to pick up the children, which is good. Uh, because our town doesn't have school buses, and um, wandering and around, I yeah, and I, it's in we're in Boston, so it gets freaking cold. Um, and it also, you know, if if I'm going to say, okay, well, I'm going to fold clothes for a whole five minutes, <laughs> I I only need to do it for five minutes. Like certainly, I can make it five minutes. Then my data cube will release me from doing something that's unpleasant because I think I can get through five minutes. So you use it as a challenge, right? To see, okay, can I beat five minutes? But then I'm curious, if you set it for five minutes and you've already started and let's say you still have, I don't know, 40% left to go, will you finish? It depends. Uh, sometimes I'm terrible at estimating how long things take to do. Yep. So I might I might estimate 10 minutes for something and then the the data cube goes off at 10 minutes and I think, oh, well, I, I really thought this would take less time, but I'm going to give myself another 10 minutes. But at least it keeps me noticing. Otherwise, I don't think I would look up you know, for hours and I really do depend on it. Yeah. I, I love it. It's it's one of my yeah. favorite things. So, Allison, are you working on something that you want to tell us about? I definitely am. I am offering a year-long program called Catapult. It is a high-touch mastermind for anyone who wants to increase their influence, expand their audience, boost their brand or their business. This is a time saver and an empowerment program for women who often women business owners get hornswoggled into hiring specialists for things like, oh, I'm going to hire a social media manager, but they don't have a strategy. They don't know the shortcuts. They don't know how to do anything themselves. So they are paying someone to do something with, you know, 15 minutes with me, they would feel so much more capable and they would spend less money. As a, you know, lifelong publicist and marketer, it burns me when I hear of people hiring a publicist for $25,000 because I can teach you how to be a publicist in an afternoon and also I can media train you. Like, please don't hire an army of specialists when people need a comprehensive entrepreneurs. They need a comprehensive strategy and then all the tools, templates, swipes, et cetera. So I feel like it's my duty to bundle all these things 
into a, an entrepreneurial brand building experience that helps everyone save time and money and represent themselves better to be their very best marketers. So where can people find more information? AllisonLaneLit.com. AllisonLaneLit.com. That's hilarious, actually. I just thought of the <laughs> lit part. Anyway, we'll have that all in our show notes. Um, Allison, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. I love it. And to all you ADHDers out there, you are a big effing deal. So lean into it. She always says that. She always says that. You're a big <laughs> effing deal. That's like one of your little like monikers. Um, well, everyone, <laughs> you say, you say it too. You've never met an ADHD -er who wasn't brilliant yeah. at something. Yeah. But you would always tell me you're a big effing deal. You're a big effing deal. Whenever I started to get down on myself and I was just like, oh my gosh, I am not. Stop it. <laughs> you really are. Anyway, thank you, Allison. Thank you. So before I leave you, just a quick reminder that doors for our first ever January, Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, -okay, are now open. And if you want to save $100, use the code HOLIDAYS100. You can go to tracyoutsuka.com, A-OK, -okay, for more information. I would love to have you join us and have results just like Wendy, Allison, and Ava attested to. If you like this episode with Allison Lane, let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK -okay system. I spy a happier life for us, and I'll see you again next week.